Pure Nonfiction's coverage during the Sundance Film Festival is sponsored by National Geographic Documentary Films. Esquire calls The Rescue this year's most thrilling and human documentary. To see it is to believe in both the human spirit and the miracle of human ingenuity, raves Variety. The film won three Critics' Choice Documentary Awards, including Best Director. It's nominated for the PGA Awards and the Cinema Eye Honors. The Rescue from the Academy Award-winning filmmakers of Free Solo. For your consideration for Best Documentary Feature. The Rescue, now streaming on Disney+. Filmmaker Isabel Castro has spent a decade making short films on immigration. Now she makes her feature debut with the documentary Miha, premiering at Sundance. I'm Tom Powers, and this is Pure Nonfiction. The Sundance Film Festival is underway, showcasing over 50 documentary features, shorts, and series. We've picked five feature docs to highlight during the festival. To help me out this week, I've enlisted my colleague, Sama Ali. She works with me at DocNYC as the lead shorts programmer. She also programs international features for hot docs and other festivals. And she runs her own company, Sisterhood Media. Sama, thanks for joining me. Hey, Tom. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for allowing me to you know, co-host this podcast. And I can't wait to connect with a few filmmakers, especially Isabel, for this episode. You know, Samal, we were last together in person, face-to-face, three months ago at Doc NYC. I, I wasn't really thinking that we would uh, be back at home again, but it, it's, it's so nice to connect with you this way and to be connecting with filmmakers this way. I know. Three months ago seems like forever, and in the interim, not only have I got COVID, but I've also recovered, so... You're ahead of the game. So you interviewed Isabel Castro. She's previously made short documentaries, and she worked for Vice. Uh, At Doc NYC, we picked her for our 40 Under 40 uh, list of young talent. I should say we also picked Sarah Dosa, who was on the last episode of our podcast. Uh, Now Isabel is making her feature debut titled Miha. What can you tell us about Miha? Well, Miha means a lot in Spanish, from what I understand, and most people understand it to be my daughter. And this film not only captures a lot about daughters and family responsibility, but most importantly, caretaking. And the first daughter that we meet is Doris Munoz, who's in her 20s, and she has a passion for the music business and has actually made it as a manager. We meet her while she is nurturing the career of Latinx singer Cuco. Let's hear a little of Cuco. So the film begins in 2019, before COVID, when Doris and Kugo are nonstop touring. And I should say this film is also playing in the Sundance Next section. The festival describes this section as devoted to innovative storytelling. In the case of Miha, the film is deeply immersing us into Doris's world and uses her own words to tell her story. I was that girl in the audience dreaming, waiting for a bigger life. Now that I'm here, it doesn't feel real.
Like any second now, I'm about to wake up in my childhood bed. So what is it about Miha that stood out to you? Well, this documentary is such a dreamy coming-of-age story about not only family responsibility and friendship, but also it has scenes where it feels like almost famous, and that's the most fun part. And of course, shortly into filmmaking, the pandemic hit, and that not only changed everyone's world, including Doris, but also Isabel as she was documenting the story. I have to say, when I hear pandemic documentary, I cringe and I think of people being interviewed on Zoom. But that is not what this film is. It's so beautifully shot. It moves from Los Angeles to Tijuana to Texas. So even though it's taking place against the backdrop of the pandemic, we really get a sense of being out in the world. Speaking of Texas, there is another daughter that we get to meet in this film. Her name is Jax Hopped, and folks, you need to listen to her. Her work is in the show notes, and we not only meet her as Doris discovers her, but also we get to see her shoot a video for her addictive song called 3AM. There's so much young talent to discover in this film, both in front of the camera and behind the camera. You interviewed Isabel a few days ago. You were at home in chilly Brooklyn, and she was in sunny Los Angeles. Yes, we had a real privilege to get an early look at this film, and I can't wait for others to discover Isabel, Doris, and Jax. The first question I asked Isabel is how she met Doris. I met Doris in the summer of 2019. I had been doing research on uh, just what, you know, a world of stories. I, I was trying to figure out what my next documentary would be about. And I had two guiding principles. I basically, I wanted to do a story about immigration um, that wasn't explicitly about immigration. I wanted to figure out a way to kind of have immigration status be a part of the characters uh, identity, but not all of it. And the second thing uh, that I was looking for was to find a story uh, for and about young people. For me, it's really exciting to make work for younger audiences because I feel like it's uh, when we're younger, we're more open to learning new things and changing our worldview. And so I was looking for a coming of age story that kind of fit those requirements. And through the research process, I came across Kuko's music and I just fell in love with it. Like I, I was listening to it all the time. And I think what was most exciting to me about his music was that um, it really spoke to a younger version of myself. Um, I came to the United States when I was really young and I grew up in a very white community and I didn't have musicians like Kuko when I was growing up. And so when I heard his music and it's in Spanglish um, and he looks like we could be related, um, I just got really excited about what that might mean for like a younger version of myself. And so um, I reached out to Doris because she was his manager. Um, and I initially, uh, I just, I wanted to kind of just get a sense of his story, get a sense of the community. Um, and she invited me out to 
a concert, a benefit concert that she was throwing called Selena for Sanctuary. And it's a scene in the film. It was intended to just be a scouting trip. And when I went, I realized that like Doris was kind of behind the scenes, organizing a lot of this community energy. And I was really kind of intrigued and curious as to what a manager even did. Um, and I think that curiosity led me to focusing on Doris as the protagonist of the story. Wow. So you started off with her at yeah. such a different stage than when we end up seeing her story develop. Um, before we even get to that, I want to know how did you kind of make that um, check in with yourself to find out that this was going to be your first feature, that Miha was going to turn into a full length documentary. Yeah, I so I started making films when I was uh, in college, uh, junior in college. I had studied photography and I was working on this photo essay and very naively I was like, this would make an amazing documentary. And the film is called Crossing Over. Um, I poured everything I had into it, like literally every single thing I had. And at the end of that experience, I was like, I never want to make an independent documentary ever again. Um, and so I I got a job, like I got a job working at Vice. I like, you know, I needed to pay the bills. I just, I, I love the process of making documentary. Like it is by the biggest love I have in my life, but I just, I needed to figure out a way to make it sustainable because that experience didn't make it seem like it could be. Um, and I did that for a couple of years. And I think after a couple of years of really like learning a lot from another kind of discipline, from journalists and from broadcast reporters, I, I, I think that I like, I realized that I, I like existed most happily in independent film, um, but I was really scared to go back into it. So I, I quit my job. I, I was like, all right, let's see how this goes. I'm going to make two shorts. And I realized that I, I, I do feel like the landscape of documentary is changing. I feel like there's more opportunities to finance, to build community. Um, and that was really encouraging. And I think I also realized that I was more experienced than I was when I had made my first you know, my first film ever. Um, and so I made, after making two shorts, uh, independent shorts, I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to try to make a feature. And I think that as soon as I met Doris and as to, more than anything, I just fell in love with the community. Like it really is, Doris and her community are really advocating and celebrating Mexican-American identity. And I didn't feel like I, I had that growing up. And I was just so excited by what I saw to be like a national energy around just like organizing around that identity and being proud of that identity. And I just, I wanted to figure out a way to tell a story both about Doris and of her community and the different themes um, and issues that Doris experiences in her life. Wow, and you did it so beautifully um, with such texture. And again, there's nothing I've ever seen like this. And 
One of the things that you did mention um, in your Sundance um, interview, the Meet the Artists, is that, and you mentioned at the top of this interview, you wanted to make a story about immigration, but not, you know, the very typical uh, documentary where that's all we know about this character. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by that? I, so most of my independent work has been about immigration, different stories around immigration and both in making them and also consuming a lot of them. I've realized that there is kind of what I've found to be a pretty redundant way in which these stories are told. And, and I just, I just wanted to figure out or try to figure out a different way of telling the story of immigration in a way that didn't exclusively center uh, the trauma and pain of that experience. I think that it's just, it's an inevitable part of any immigration story because to immigrate is to leave your home. I think people don't realize that that's what it boils down to. And there's a lot of pain that goes along with that. But I wanted to figure out ways of including other emotions that are a part of that experience as well. And ones that um, that I don't see talked about as commonly. Um, Emotions like guilt, emotions like uh, regret, emotions like resentment, emotions like anger. And I wanted to show that all those emotions could also exist um, and were also okay to feel. Because through my experience, through talking to a lot of different people and families that have immigrated to this country, I've realized there's a lot of reticence about like necessarily articulating those emotions. The other thing is I, I really wanted to push myself to kind of um, use new visual and stylistic approaches towards t telling a story about immigration. Given that I was looking to do a coming-of-age story, I just went back to basics. I, I thought about the things that I watched when I was growing up. And I was addicted to Sex and the City, and I loved Clueless. And those were the films that like, those were the things, those were the characters that just like stuck with me. You know, I realized that like there aren't a lot of characters like that, that are people of color. Um, and so I wanted to utilize the, div the device of voiceover to like give intimate access into the protagonist in this, in this case, in Doris's mind through voiceover because it was, it's a tool that I always kind of connected with very easily when I was coming of age. And I also just like wanted to shift the tone. So, you know, I talked about like the different emotions that I wanted to explore and the different stylistic, uh, the different style that I wanted to approach that with. Um, but overall, just tonally, I wanted it to be, I wanted to hold space for pain and loss while also being funny and silly and, re you know, showing that every, you know, people make mistakes and just kind of complicating the narrative of what it means to uh, immigrate to this country. And my hope is that Miha kind of got closer to doing like a different uh, way of telling a story around immigration. I think not only did you knock that out, but you did sprinkle in moments of Clueless in there. So you <laughs> did an excellent job, especially car scenes. It felt so dreamy, yet so real. And 
as I mentioned earlier, it does offer that texture that you were trying to give in this kind of teenage dream coming of age uh, film. Um, now, Miha starts off, as you mentioned, not in the pandemic, but when COVID-19 hits, there is such a change in what happens in Doris's career and story trajectory. How are you able to really change the story world as all of our worlds were changing alongside this production? I mean, another comp that I didn't mention, but I did think it would be like almost famous, but make it Chicano. Like I was so excited to like <laughs> go on tour and be on the van and that's kind of what I had envisioned. Um, and very quickly realized it was gonna be something very different. Um, I think that I, I, along with the rest of the world, f- fell into like a free falling existential crisis. <laughs> I mean, and um, knowing what and how to do this film was a big, part of that like I um I knew so I I have a lot of experience in breaking news I knew that the story was going to shape Doris's life and her family's life and I was completely willing to um step into the challenge of just like following what that might look like there was some sorrow at least initially at like kind of having to get rid of like my preconceived ideas of what this film was going to be like. Um, and I think as, as soon as I made peace with that, I was like, okay, I am literally just a passenger in this story. <laughs> like I, I thought I had kind of come up with like a roadmap for what the film was going to look like and had my beats and had my story arc. And then all of that was just thrown out the window. At the beginning of the pandemic, her family still hadn't heard about their papers. Trump suspended all pending greening card applications and the music industry just came to a total and utter standstill. What I realized was that we could I like lean into maybe um, unexpected visual approaches to telling the story. I think that I like really decided to challenge myself from a cinematography perspective um, because, you know, concerts were immediately going to give me visual candy and I didn't have that to work with anymore. Um, And so I really tried to figure out different ways to make the the story still visually compelling. And the last thing I'll say is just that the, you know, from, from a story standpoint, uh, the silver lining uh, to the pandemic hitting was that it led us to Jax, who became a main character in the film. Doris um, found her during the pandemic and was just listening to her all the time. And then I was like, who's that? And then I started listening to her all the time. Stop where you going. You forgot to mention maybe that I lose things. she is just like a force of nature um and 
I think just really rounded out the story in a way that I would never have been able to plan myself. And I'm just genuinely excited for people to meet her. I think she's like, uh, I, I have a feeling she's going to be a big star. Yeah. Let's talk about Jax Hopf because she is a scene taker. <laughs> Every moment she was in front of the camera was really a stop moment. And she not only has such a magnetic voice, something that's, I think, along the lines of like Amy Winehouse meets Caliuchis. Um, how did you, you know, go to Texas and then weave her into the story so that way it felt like this natural moment of adding a character that meant so much to Miha? Totally. I, so Doris and I were both listening to her. I think Doris was at a very kind of like, she was at a crossroads in her own career. She was trying to figure out what to do next. Um, Doris is truly a metal detector for talent. I mean, it's honestly quite incredible. Whenever I need to listen or want to listen to new music, I just reach out to her for recommendations. And she um, was like, just like listening to Jax all the time. There are things that happen to Doris, things that happen in the story that lead Doris to reevaluating her career. Um, and she didn't know whether she wanted to manage anymore. She didn't know if she wanted to start her own label. Um, she's still kind of figuring it out, actually. Um, and she, she, because I was around all the time, I mean, I basically ostensibly became her pod. Like we spent, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'll say this. I, I moved to LA to be close to her because I wanted to film this in Verite and I just wanted to like be able to access her story whenever we needed. And, and then COVID just like, we just like, whoop, like it just, we spent, you know, every other day we spend a lot of time together but um she was she was saying like what do you think of this girl and I looked her up online and I was like I I was completely mesmerized by her um I also thought it was important to include her story because Latinidad uh takes different shapes in different places in the country I think what a lot of people don't realize including politicians, including the media, uh, is that to be Latinx is, it's like a huge spectrum of things. Like it transcends race and goes across socioeconomics. And, um, and I think that mass popular culture has this bad habit of just like identifying it as this one thing. I was really kind of mesmerized by the Chicano community here in LA, but I did want to show that ultimately what Doris is doing, which is trying to build better representation for the Latino community, kind of, it goes beyond just Chicano um, identity in LA. And so I, I thought it was important to, to show someone like Jax, who is Latina and from Texas. So I reached out to her. I reached out to her, I mean, with Doris's um, permission. I reached out to her first, actually, because I, I wanted to be able to build a relationship with Jax independent of Doris. Um, I think previously it had, it had been really difficult because Doris is a manager, you know, was a manager. And so she was so like her instinct is protect the media to a certain extent from her previous clients. Um, 
and didn't realize, like, I, I just wanted to be able to form my own relationship with Jax. And so I reached out to her before I reached out to Doris. Uh, sorry, before Doris reached out to her. And, um, and we just started talking. And on, after that first phone call, I was like, I am going to get on a plane to Texas and I'm going to go meet this girl. Um, she, she's just so charismatic and she's so, um, she's so ambitious. And yet she like, what, what was the most interesting thing to me about Jax was that she didn't have a blueprint at all. Like she, she knows, she knew, she knows she wants to be a musician and, but she just didn't have a lot of resources around her kind of guiding her. And so I genuinely thought Doris was going to be a great resource for her. And so, um, I met her and then I was like, Doris, she's, she's great. I think you should reach out. And then Doris reached out and then, so that's how, that's how that all came to be. And it really became a sisterhood that yeah. we watched on camera from there. Um, one of the most important things about Miha is the tension that is experienced between both Doris and Jax Hopped with their parents, um, especially because they are in a very unpredictable music industry. Um, it particularly becomes emotional with Jack's character um, as um, it becomes a very difficult moment with her parents um, that I don't want to give away, but is so heart-wrenching um, to see. And it ultimately comes down to the question of her thinking of her identity because she's born in the U.S. compared to her parents that are undocumented. Why was it important for you to show this conflict on screen? Yeah, I mean... At its heart, Miha is about what it means to be the daughter of immigrants. I think um, I think that through Doris's story and Jax's story, the film explores different facets of what that means. Like, um, and for Jax's narrative, I think I wanted to focus on the ways that being a child of immigrant or being an immigrant um, is you you feel a lot of guilt and responsibility because of all of the sacrifices you or your family has made to get you to the United States. Um, and that guilt can become a difficult thing to carry when you're you're exploring a creative profession. Like um, I my personal experience is very different from Jax's. Me and my family got our green cards before I was 18, but there was still a lot of ambivalence about like exploring a career in filmmaking because it just like doesn't feel like the responsible thing to do. And I think in Jax's case was exacerbated by the fact that her parents were undocumented and, you know, she has these dreams of being a singer, but her family, um, and somewhat rightfully so, you know, have have sacrificed so much to get to this country that it's hard for them to know if her creative ambitions are going to pay off. It's a very risky and daunting profession to take on. And it was really important for me to show that because I, you know, I bring up the Billie Eilish doc all the time. I love, I really love that documentary. And I think the reason that I loved it 
was because it showed how Billy's family was such a huge component to her success. And we, when we talk about representation for minorities in industries, in the in film industries or music industries, I mean, in most industries, I think one of the biggest challenges that minority communities face is support from their families or from their communities. I mean, I don't want to be prescriptive, but but it is at least for the immigrant experience like an uh, an additional hurdle to get over. And for Jax's story, I just wanted to show how much more difficult it is for someone like Jax than it is for someone like Billie Eilish uh, to succeed because of the lack of support from her family. My hope is that in seeing that, like, it might, like, show people how how important it is to have these industries go out of their way to support people like Jax and to give people like Jax a shot. want to thank Isabel Castro for coming on the podcast, and thanks to Sama Ali for hosting. Isabel's debut feature, Miha, is premiering at the Sundance Film Festival in the next section for innovative storytelling. See our show notes for more about the film and about singer Jax Haupt. Our Sundance coverage is sponsored by National Geographic Documentary Films. We have three more episodes during the festival rolling out in the coming days. Thanks to our team, series producer Hannah Nordenswan and web designer Cross Strategy. Our theme music is composed by Andre Williams and our executive producer is Rafaela Nehausen. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pure Nonfiction. I'm Tom Powers. You can follow me on Twitter at T-H-O-M Powers. You can read our show notes and sign up for our newsletter at purenonfiction.net.